We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Aaron Ramsey masterclass puts nail in the coffin of people who still compare him to Jack Wilshire. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. Big win, huge win, fun win, exciting win, and my opening, snarky as hell, because that's how we do it. Um, I thought this was an interesting match because it was so enjoyable to watch. It was so entertaining, and yet I do think that you can fairly and reasonably have some concerns about what you witnessed. And I don't love the sort of mandate that if we win and win comfortably, you're only allowed to say great, wonderful things about it. So we will say great, wonderful things about it, about the great goals, about the great performances. But my hope is that we can also uh, be open-minded enough to see the the cloud in the silver lining. And you know that that's something that I think we should always strive to do. So we will strive to do that with Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. And Scott, you can find him on Twitter at O underscore that underscore crab. Hello, Scott. Hello. That's it. That's the team. That's who's here. That's who showed up. Um, But you know what? Rotation is important. Um, This is the team that's going to drag us to sixth in the league. So we're excited about it. (laughs) Um, So let's let's kick off on what was really an eventful match. And I think there's a lot to get stuck into here. Tim, uh, first of all, I just want to ask you a quick yes or no question. When Mm. I saw that Czech was playing for Ospina and Arsene Wenger said that Ospina had an ankle injury. Like, I literally, not LOL'd, like, I genuinely laughed out loud. Like, I thought it was hilarious that he wouldn't just own up to the fact that he's rotated. But now he's seeming to suggest that Ospina will be out a few weeks with the ankle injury. So let's just get this out of the way very quickly. Do you believe now that this is an injury and that Ospina will get this role back in a semifinal or in a final whenever he's available? 
I believe it's an injury. Um, I don't think he will, though. That's Ooh, my prediction. Okay. So, so you do believe the injury, though? Yes, yes. Okay. So other than that, I mean, Lacazette gets the start well back on the bench. Jack Wilshere retains his his role at the number 10. I was encouraged by it for the most part. Certainly encouraged to see Check in there. Certainly encouraged to see Lacazette starting. I think if I wanted to nitpick, I would have nitpicked at Jack being in that position. But for you, was this the best or just about the best team he, he could have put out? Yeah, more or less. Um, I think so. I, do, I think I said on the last pod, I kind of expected to see Welbeck line up on the left yeah um and maybe not jack in there but whether um Welbeck, you know apparently carrying a bit of a knock on the back or whether it's just he really didn't convince in that role at all um in the stoke game um it might have been a mixture of both really because I, I really thought he was going to set up like that um actually but i mean other than that more or less um, to be honest, I, I think you can pretty much interchange Wilshire or Iwobi at the moment if um, you're insisting in playing Wilshire in that three behind the striker. I, I still think I'd prefer to see Ozil central and I'd push Wilshire out kind of wide right, um, to be honest, more than I would Ozil. Um, I actually think Wilshire, certainly in the past, has been quite good in that position. Um whether he's got the dynamism for it now, I don't know. But uh, that, you know, kind of nitpicking really because this is what he's been doing for the last few weeks. He's been playing Ozil um, and Mkhitaryan as those kind of inverted uh, wide men. Um, so, yeah, I, I was more or less happy with it. It was it was pretty much what I expected, um, to be honest. I don't think there were any any great shocks in there. I, I You know, I, I thought that Welbeck might start ahead other than... Uh, rather than Wilshire, but other than that, it was pretty much what I expected. And to be honest, um, it's kind of gone under the radar that Arsenal have really started scoring goals lately. Um, and what's quite interesting is we're scoring them in bunches as well. We're, we're kind of getting 10, 15-minute periods of very high productivity in front of goal. Um, and, and I think that's quite interesting. That suggests, actually, that that we're slowly beginning to sort the attack out, which is um, which is a, a really interesting and positive development. Yeah, well, I mean, scoring a lot of goals in front of a bunch of red and white seats is how something goes under the radar, right? So doing it <laughs> yeah, against true. Stoke at home in front of 15 of your best friends, like that, that's how things <laughs> tend to go under the radar. But yeah, I, I take your point. And Scott, I mean, I think to, to the point about scoring the goals, since we have you here, let's be a little statsy for a minute. I mean, in terms of... So I got into a long and unnecessary debate on Twitter when I said we should have scored more than the four that we did. And, of course, I was um, chastised about not understanding expected goals and how that all works. And I I do understand that um, from an expected goals standpoint, that's supposed to be our what we should have done. Uh, I will defend my position momentarily. But before I do that, how did we come out on things like XG? Um, So overall, I had it at uh, 3.35 XG for the day. Um, you know, before you know, Arsenal scored the the four or with the four goals, they were just under two. So they added a, um, almost another goal and a half to the XG total um, in the you know final forty five minutes or so. So let, so, let me just stop I mean, you I, there for a second because I just want to parse that out. So so basically, we scored goals that you wouldn't have necessarily expected us to score during that that run of four goals. I mean, obviously Ramsey's finish is is an incredible, challenging finish. But from the time we were four one up expected goals had us around another goal and a half that we could have slash should have scored. So it's it's not unreasonable to suggest 
that we had presentable chances, even based on what the, the data tells you from the time we were 4-1 up to, to go further ahead. And while acknowledging that some of the goals we did score were, were challenging finishes. Exactly. And, you know, anytime, you know, you use XG, especially for a single game, you have to, you know, understand there are fairly large error bars um, around the, the numbers. Um, so, you know, it, it could come out to, to three and a half. But, um, you know, when you produce three and a half expected goals, you know, the actual goals that you could score is pretty easy between, you know, six and two kind of a thing without any, right. any two different without, you know, so it'll in general, it would be around four between three and four. But, you know, you can have as much as six if you have a hot finishing day or if you come up against a, a good goalie, you know, you might score one, you might score two. So well, you, the, your single game kind of things, it's, you know, it's always difficult to, to see. And, you know, I, I hate that should have scored because, you know, what if, if you know, if you score a, a worldie, is that something you should have scored? Well, I mean, you did score. It's not something yeah. that you're often going to see scored. But I mean, saying should have is always kind of weird. It's, you know, this is the probability of something happening. Well, so. think, think about it this way. Let's say you're presented with four chances. Each one is half an expected goal, right? 0.5. Each individual chance, right? So your expected goals are going to add up to two expected goals there. It's not unthinkable that in a 50-50 opportunity, you wind up scoring all of them, right? One in two chances exactly. you score. Yeah. It's, like, it's like flipping a coin. Every time you flip a coin, it's a 50% chance it's going to be heads. So it's not unreasonable to get four heads. Well, that, that would be a four-goal game, and, and actually has it at two. I, again, I get your point. I think looking at it as an individual game can be misleading. It is certainly a helpful addition in how we evaluate a game and how we help seek to understand the game. I just don't love to use it to the exclusion of, of what your eyes tell you and everything else in the data. Now, putting the data aside for a second, the the game got off to a fast start, and I think CSK seemed like they were determined to come at us, something Tim has been recommending the opposition do, so thank you for that, Tim, because I think that really <laughs> helped us on this occasion. Um, and while our defending was a little bit suspect, the attacking was fairly breathtaking. Is this, in your estimation, at least from recent memory, the most fluid and dynamic attacking football you've seen us play this season? Yeah, I mean, I, th I really do think that Arsenal um, played well. Um, when teams come at us, especially at the Emirates, um, when you leave that much space for, for Ozil and, you know, you decide to not mark Aaron Ramsey when, you know, he's able to get into the box, you're really giving yourself trouble. And then everybody else um, moving around them really seemed to, to do well offensively. Um, I think Mkhitaryan has really um, slotted in well. He wasn't, you know, a, a high-volume um, touch player in this game, but when he did um, get the ball, good things happened. Um, and Ozil was at the center of everything. Um, Awobi, when he came on, I thought that he was actually impressive, um, and it was good to see him, especially after you know him kind of being out of form for the last couple of months. So yeah, I mean, it really does seem like the team's kind of um, you know rounding into form. You know, I didn't even talk about Lacazette um, and his beautiful touch to to set up his. Um, second goal to to really put the match away was yeah, yeah, just absolutely beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think, you know, as you've just hit on there, each one of those people that you named, there's a lot of attacking talent in this team. And, you know, one of the things that we've always said, Scott, or I, I should not put the words in your mouth, keep them in my, my mouth where they taste best, is that I am willing to accept a little bit of clown card defending with Arsene Wenger. I kind of expect it. I don't expect us to ever be a dominant defensive team under Arsene Wenger. But the trade-off was beautiful attacking, flowing football where there could be goals at both ends. And so do you think this is sort of more of a return to what you quintessentially associate with Arsene Wenger football, which is always giving them a chance, but 
playing some beautiful flowing moves with quick passing and and uh, that sort of stylish attacking flair that we're used to seeing. Yeah, so to me, this was, you know, so I know, I think we had a, you tweeted some the other day, I think it was after for Liverpool, um, maybe when they were doing something, um, and, you know, you were talking about their um, front three, and I think Arsenal's, um, you know, attacking players that they have are as good or better than just about any other team in the Premier League, maybe except for Manchester City, and that that's something that Arsenal really should just try to maximize and maybe go with that Liverpool model a little bit of, you know what? We we may give up some goals, but we're just going to go out here and we're going to try to outscore you and you know see if you can hang with us. To me, that's that's almost you know the best way to do it with this team. Um, you know the fans I think would like that better, yeah. especially with you know there's nothing really to play for in the league, so you might as well go gung ho. You know attacking. Well, you you look at Liverpool and you're exactly right. I mean that's a team that's built around Firmino, Salah, Sadio Mane really being the the thrust of of where they have quality and talent and an advantage and they use it quite brilliantly. I don't think anyone would say that Milner or Oxlade Chamberlain or Henderson are world class players defensively and in goalkeeper they are suspect. I think there's a lot of similarities between our team and their team in that respect because you can look at Lacazette, Bombing, Mkhitaryan, Ozil, Aaron Ramsey. These are very very talented players who can I think create the same kinds of problems, maybe a little different in terms of pace and directness, but can create some of the same kinds of problems. And there's no reason why we shouldn't be able to, with the right tactics and setup, play to those same kinds of strengths. So, Tim, let's let's get into the individual performances a little bit and how the game flowed. Mm. Right off the bat, we gave a signal of the intent of the players that were really going to steal the show. Aaron Ramsey was everywhere, and he has the ball in the net after, what, three minutes. It was ruled out, and there was almost like the Hawkeye tennis system in play on that that side of the pitch, that the linesman with the balding patch on the back of his head, that guy, he, he had an itchy trigger finger with the offside flag. It helped us on some occasions, but it hurt us on this one. Uh, Ramsey to Ozil, back to Ramsey, smooth finish. I think that was a sign of intent. Did you get the sense right off mm. the bat that Aaron <clears throat> Ramsey was really in for a special, special performance? Yeah, absolutely. And I thought it was quite interesting that... Um Hector Bellerin said afterwards, you know, that Ramsey's been pestering him. Uh, well, they've they've been, you know, talking to each other in training a lot about, you know, looking for him when he's in the box. And if you ever kind of watch Ramsey in the stadium, um, this kind of habit he has is when when he wants the ball, two arms up. He's in the air. not. Yeah, he's he's not subtle about it. He's like two arms up in the air, screaming like a child, like give me the ball, and um. Yeah, and and so I, I thought that was kind of interesting, and that combination, um, you know, it was it, it it was very similar to the actual first goal that went in, and that that tells you first of all that it's something they probably worked on, and second of all, um, the importance of actually having someone within like three and a half miles of Hector Bellerin um, is is quite a useful thing to do. Who knew? Um, so yeah, and and. And look, look, Ozil was really popping up in those kind of in those wide areas on both flanks. Um, you know, I, th- I, I th- was it was it him who was offside for that goal, or was it Mkhitaryan? I can't remember. For the for um, the opening goal, I mean, well, for, for the, the one that was disallowed after three minutes. Yeah, I think it was yeah. Ozil, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because it was yeah, Ramsey I, I to Ozil back to Ramsey for that for that disallowed first goal. I think it was Ozil that was uh, judged offside. That's that's right. And so he's right over on the right there. And then you look at Lacazette's second goal. And he's right over on the left wing. Um, and, you know, for Ramsey's second goal, he's kind of over towards the left wing as well. So he's really kind of popping up everywhere. 
And um, yeah, I mean, those two, Ramsey and Ozil, they just, they were Champions League players slumming it in the Europa League. It felt um, like a Champions League group night. stage game a little bit, didn't yeah. it? Like, there were, I had it little did. flashbacks to that, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, it absolutely felt like, um, you know, the second or third group game in the group of the Champions League. And, you know, Ozil kind of really decided that he was going to turn it on and, and what's what's really interesting about the two of them and where they actually I thought blended quite well is you know you know Rams is on it because he's like the road runner he's everywhere um and actually one of the biggest big improvements he's made as we saw with both his finishes is that you know he's he's really calm he doesn't thrash those finishes anymore so he's kind of got that nice balance of tearing into the box like the road runner and then slowing down um, when the ball comes to him, but you know, you know, you're getting a good Ramsey performance when he's intense and he's up and down, and um, you know, you, you you still kind of worry about what that's doing to his body, quite frankly. Um, yeah. But yeah. let's not dwell on that this evening. And and actually, Özil's kind of the opposite. Özil's a weird player in that the slower he's going, the better he looks. Um, to me, he he really. You know, he he rarely looks like he's going full throttle. Sometimes he is, but this game he played at walking pace, and I mean that in a I mean that in a good way. I don't mean that in the oh, as it was lazy. You know, he he did that thing where he looks like he's always walking, but he's actually everywhere. And even when he's on the ball, he had that real like nonchalance in his body language. But again, in you know, in a really good way, in a kind of. I have absolutely got this game by the short and curlies and there's nothing any of you can do about it. And, you know, he, he just had that kind of insouciance and, and that was a really interesting blend for Arsenal on the night because you've got the intensity of Ramsey and then this kind of, you know, this kind of fire and ice um, thing going on and, and it, it, it linked up beautifully on the night. But yeah, you, you could you could see it in Ramsey for the first minute that, that you know, he smelled blood. Um, I don't know how much they talked about the age uh, profile, shall we say, of the Seska defence and whether they thought, uh, you know, Ramsey thought, yeah, I can run the legs off of these, no problem. Um, and, it, you know, he, he, he did just seem to be really up for it um, from the very first yeah. whistle. A, a, a bit like in Milan, even though in Milan it was a much more kind of controlled, disciplined performance, whereas this was a, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push us forward, I'm going to drive us forward. Um, I'm going to treat this like Ramsey on the night actually seemed to be the one of the few players who really seemed to treat it like a two-legged game, mm-hmm. you know, that he, he wasn't treating it as a one-off, like, oh, this is all over now. He he was, you know, let's build up a good score here. Let's, you know, let's Never take a really wanting convincing to add to lead. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, um, yeah. Did, did you find at any moment during the match that you were sitting there, uh, especially when it went to 4-1, thought, wow, Elliot just really called this right on the last podcast? That, I feel like that must have been going through your mind. <laughs> I have to be honest, like, I couldn't I, I couldn't remember. I'm, I must have just that tuned out. one of those sections that, you weren't so. listening. Yeah, that's that's fine, that's fine. <laughs> Lest you forget, I predicted 4-0. I was, I was just off. Um, Scott, let's give you something unpleasant to talk about because, you know, sort of an in- initiation here. Um, so we we do take the lead off off Ramsey's goal and it a really hot start, but it was a really open game. And the funny thing is, I think as much as Ramsey deserves huge credit for his attacking performance, the amount that he was running into the opposition box and the amount of time he was spending in their final third really left Granite Shaka with a lot to do. And 
every time he pushed up, it seemed to backfire. And they had a lot of opportunities where they were running at Koscielny and Mustafi, and they did not look like they felt very comfortable in those situations. But the, their first goal comes from some of the, the most comical defending you'll ever see. Mustafi hacking it back to the center of our box. Uh, Chaka miskicking uh, an effort at a clearance. And then Koscielny just being frustrated and deciding to bulldoze their player at the edge of the box. So the, the first thing I wanted to ask is just, do you think that, that we were, as, as much as we were committed to getting the goals and attacking them, do you think that the problem defensively was just that the trade-off for that was we'd left way too much space at the back? Yeah, I mean, that, and that's generally going to be the, the trade-off you get. Um, one of the things I think I, I noticed is, so when Ramsey goes forward, um, one of the people that kind of is tasked with filling his space um, is Hector Bellerin. Um, and Bellerin um, probably had one of his uh, worst matches defensively um, for a while. His, his offense was really good. Um, you know, he seemed to actually be picking out his crosses and he was his normal steady self passing the ball. But to me, really didn't show up um, on the defensive side of the game. He got worked um, so by Musa a little bit at times, too, yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, he was dribbled past four times, didn't really, um, you know, do much else um, there. So, yeah, so I think that's one of the things that if, you know, Bellerin has a, a better day um, doing a little bit more of the cover, because that's kind of the thing that, you know, he's expected to tuck in um, on the right-hand side and cover for Ramsey a little bit. Um, you know, some of the other, you know, Jack Wilshire, you know, maybe supposed to, to rotate there, too, to, to help out. And I don't know if he has the same legs to do it when Ramsey goes forward. Um, so, yeah, I think that's something that is just a, a trade-off, um, you know, when uh, against Stoke, you could see that there were some of those um, times that uh, Mustafi was tasked with, you know, having to make a, an amazing tackle to, to save our skins. And that just didn't quite come off in this game. But luckily, Seska just weren't able to really capitalize off some of those mistakes, um, you know, and, you know, only got the one goal on, you know, an amazing free kick, which, you know, Czech didn't even have a chance to, no, to save out so, yeah. if anybody could have gotten that one. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy because they had so many chances where they their final ball or their shot was just so wayward and they had so little composure. I mean, they could have made this a little more uncomfortable for us, uh, but thankfully they didn't. So, I, I mean, to me, as I was watching this, I thought Mustafi pretty much had a mare and I thought Koscielny was not much better. And I'm starting to worry that the cliff is coming for Koscielny and maybe coming quicker than we had expected. Do you, did, did this game give you pause to worry about them their form, where, where, where we go with them the rest of the season and in this competition? Or do you think that some of it is down to the fact that they were just left so isolated doing a lot of the work on their own? Yeah, that's always going to be the case, I think, for an Arsenal that, center that's back. That's a fair point. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, Koscielny was one of the few people that's ever looked really good um, in the Arsenal system. Um, but is, is his you know, decline recently? starting to make? I mean, that that's the thing that worries me. Like a rock solid top of his game, Koscielny, I think can pull a Mustafi along with him, and and basically be the glue that holds this rickety ship together. If he's not at that level anymore, does it just completely collapse? Yeah, I think it does, and you can see that. You know, maybe he's lo- he's lost a step. Um, he still does well in being proactive and, you know, going out and um, trying to, to head off plays before they get too dangerous. But um, I think this season um, you can especially see that he's not quite doing quite as much cleanup work as he had done in the years past. Um, so and then, you know, Mustafi, he'll, he'll do some really good things, but he, he always has some of those, you know, headless chicken kind of moments where, you know, Arsenal's defensive system really exposes him and then his 
recklessness where sometimes, you know, his tackles come off and it's amazing, but a lot of times they can make him look really foolish. And I think this was one of those games where he ended up looking foolish instead of heroic. He gets so drawn um, to the ball. The number of times that he literally bumps into Koscielny is baffling to me. Like, that shouldn't happen that much. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's definitely something that for the future that, you know, you can almost, you know, look up the entire spine of the team and say, yeah, we need to get some guys in that 2025 range that can, you know, maybe not slot in as a, a starter, but really start being a, a rotation player. You know, maybe the, the edge of the, yeah, get some young talent coming in. Um, you know, it's it's right there that it's needing to think about replacements for some of these guys. Well, and this is where if you're going to build around Ramsey, who's going to go forward and you want him to go forward, otherwise you're not going to get the best of him. Shaka, I thought, played relatively well. And we know what Shaka's talents are, but his lack of defensive awareness and his lack of range means he may not be the man to cover all the space that's left him behind him. And I noticed he was doing something against uh, Seska that he does quite a bit. And, and Tim, I'll let you sort of... Let, tell me if you if you agree with this or have noticed this, and then we can move on to another mm. topic. We can keep this brief. But um, mm. Shaka will do a thing where he will step up to try to win the ball All right, in midfield. Mm. So he'll take that step up. And, I mean, every once in a while he gets it, but more often than not he doesn't. So he'll step up to contest the ball or uh, try to win it or try to intercept, but he doesn't sprint back into the position he vacated. He stays advanced to where he's stepped up. Or takes a minute for his brain to register, well, I've just vacated a position deeper and I need to get back into that spot. And so what happens a lot is he'll step up, he'll take a couple steps up into midfield to try to block off a pass or a run or a dribble or win the ball and not sort of fill back in, flow back into that space. Mm. And often that's the space that they play into and create a numerical advantage. Have you noticed that? I mean, that, that to me is where he just gets it wrong. That if he sat and stayed in his position and stayed a little deeper and cut out passing lanes you know, kind of like what a Busquets is so good at doing, yeah. that that could keep us a little more protected. Once you step into that advanced space, space, if you don't get there, now there's a big patch right in front of the center backs to play into. I have to say, I think one of the respects in which he's really improved recently is that he hasn't been doing that as much, that he has been sitting um, a bit more. And one thing I've really, really noticed this last kind of six, seven games or so that, um, and, and it's not something I'd ever used as a criticism of him before because it's obviously something I hadn't really noticed but I've noticed it now he's started doing it and that's dropping in um, between the centre halves or whenever you know Mustafi goes um, charging out uh, like the roadrunner again he, he's much more adept at the moment at kind of just stepping back into that space and and um, it, yeah, it, it's not. It's something a good defensive midfielder should do. They should absolutely fill in for centre backs who've kind of gone forward or stepped out. And um, it, it's not something I'd ever noticed as a criticism. But now he started doing it. I thought, huh? Yeah, he well, he wasn't. I'm sure he wasn't doing that before. Um, so you know, maybe I just spotted what the one because I have it written down as the 24th minute here that he did something, or around the 24th minute I noticed it. So I wonder if I noticed it more because it's it's something he hasn't been doing lately because his, his performances have improved that's for sure yeah yeah I, I think he is a lot more measured um i think he is a lot more measured now i think you know he, he i know he got booked last night but he doesn't get booked nearly as often he's he's kind of he's definitely stopped doing that thing where he just he loses you know a guy goes past him and he just kicks him um he's he's completely stopped doing that and actually i haven't I was kind of, a part of me was all right with him doing that at the beginning. I was a little bit, you know, I was worried that people were going past him. But once they had, I, I, you know, 
I think, yeah, okay, take evasive action. You've made the mistake. You know, you you might as well make the foul as so long as you're not on a red card. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, I I, I, do, I just don't notice him getting into those situations quite as much. And I don't know if it's just because he's become more cognizant of his weaknesses, which which kind of really show up um, in this Arsenal team. And whether he's just thinking, do you know what, I'm not going to engage. I'm, I'm just going to kind of, like you say, sit back and block off the passing lanes. Uh, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm not saying you know he's doing that like a prime bush gets or or even like as well as Mikel Arteta used to do. He you know he was really good at knowing where to stand, um, but he's getting better at it. Yeah, um, which, which you know which which is promising, which is very promising. Well, I, I think we have to acknowledge, you know, this was a very very open game. I mean, we we will get on mm. to the the Galazzo that that uh, Ramsey scored and all of the the brilliant attacking performances, but I think we would be maybe putting too much of a shine on it to not at least acknowledge Mm -hmm. that this is probably the most exposed we've left ourselves in a long time as well. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I I think a better team would have have punished us um, on a few occasions, actually. Um, And I I don't think, um, you know, I know you were speaking to Scott at the beginning about, you know, um, the kind of, Playing open, expansive football, leaving the back door open is a, is a kind of um, is the price of that. But I, I just didn't get that impression that that's why it was happening. And I don't know why. I don't have a technical explanation for this. It's more a, a little bit of gut and a little bit of eye, if you will. But I really didn't get the impression that it was like, oh yeah, we're just a bit exposed because everyone's flying forward and you know it's like flying V kind of stuff. I, I did get the impression, to be honest, that we just plain defended badly, mm. um, and we were open when we didn't really need to be um, quite that open. And uh, you know, maybe may, maybe that's part of the price of a brilliant attacking performance from Aaron Ramsey. Um, Whis- whisper again, it, but I think it's also part of the price of carrying Jack Wilshere, who's a passenger. But we'll come on to that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I, that's why I I really really think that for Jack to resurrect his career, he should. You know, he should be looking almost at playing the Xhaka role. Obviously, not as the only, you know, defensive midfielder. But I, I think, you know, beside a solid, a, a deep line playmaker, beside a solid defensive midfielder, I, personally, I think that's where his future should be. But, um, but yeah, I, I think you're right there. I think that was a little part of the reason that that we were open. Um, but yeah, I, I just didn't get the impression that our defensive. Uh, there were a lot of errors, you know, and there were there were a lot of times where Mustafi and Koscielny were up on the halfway line, and I was kind of thinking, "Why are you there? There's, there's not really any <laughs> any need for you to be there." It's it's not like I mean, Seska in the middle of the park put up so little resistance. I didn't get the impression that we really needed to go and squeeze them in and camp in their half. I really, really felt that this was a performance where. Um, we could like just completely disconnect connect the attack from the defence and just say, right, you five guys, go forward and do your thing. Like Ozil and Ramsey have got this totally sorted. Lacazette got, you know, helped himself to two goals. Mikatarian played well. I, I think you can just say, look, you guys have got this covered. And I know you can't completely disconnect but do you know what I mean? Like I mm-hmm. didn't get No, I, I know I didn't what you mean. get the feeling that 
the defence needed to be on the halfway line as well. I think they could have come like 10, 15 yards back and everything would have been okay. Well, we could have left um, one def- full back back at, at a minimum. We were, yeah, we were doing yeah. that thing we did a few seasons yeah, exactly. ago when we were taking a couple heavy beatings on the road where Monreal and Bellerin were both in the attacking half the whole time. Indeed. Yeah. And and as as you guys alluded to, Koscielny doesn't quite have the recovery pace that he used to have um either and and i yeah i think that was a little bit exposed last night yeah um let, let's do this we're halfway in and i don't think we've waxed nearly lyrical enough though about ramsey about ozil about the goals about the attacking play so scott let's first just have a quick segment of of sort of breaking down the statistics on them do the do the statistics that you looked at does the data reflect the dominance that ozil and ramsey had in the game yeah, I was very impressed with, with Ozil on the game. Um, he really did, um, you know, kind of show his class in this one. You know, Tim was talking about um, how he seemed to, to really kind of go slow. And to me, that really kind of um, sees like what you see with other great athletes, how they seem to take, you know, just make eight super hard things look incredibly easy or how like the game just seems to, to slow down for them. And I think that was definitely Ozil in this match. Um, he just, you know, had such a calmness on the ball and was able to, to create things um, which, you know, most people couldn't. Yes, I mean, he was 80 percent passing overall, which isn't great. But the thing that was really good is he was 40 of 50 in the final third wow. and then 8 of 15 into the penalty box. So he was really doing well getting the ball forward and then per- pushing the ball even further up. Um, he created five um, chances for teammates, all of them from open plays, um, created two assists, um, and then also earned the, you know a penalty. Um, you know, I think he was actually, if you looked at the, the replay of the slow-mo, it actually almost looked like he was getting ready to do his... Um, Hit it into the ground. Over the ki- yeah. yeah, his, his signature <laughs> I, chip I that, yeah. before he got his yeah, leg kicked out. Um, yeah, so then the other thing that was really nice is you know, he was also three of six in dribbles, so he was yeah, going past, taking on his man, um, I had him uh, leading Arsenal in total offensive value added with almost a goal and a half. Um, and then he had, you know, a 2.12 XG chain. So, yeah, the, the stats really did show um, all of the good things that, that Ozil did. Um, and then Ramsey, um, I really was impressed with him. So one of the things that, you know, when we were talking about the, the lineup earlier, um, when, you know, Wilshire probably would have been the guy that I would have left out, um, you know, to make it the strongest starting 11. And I probably would have brought in Welbeck. Um, one of the reasons because I would do that is because Ramsey does give you so much shots from midfield that, you know, if you have a guy like Welbeck who, you know, isn't going to, you know, shoot three or four times, you know, he might get one or two. Um, that's not going to necessarily hurt you. But I think he does so many other good things off of the ball that you aren't dependent on him to, to create things, which is not his strength. So I think he would have actually been, um, you know, helpful in this game. Um, but yeah, so well, back to or even going the other direction, someone who's strong on the ball, but not with end product. I mean, I thought Awobi, as you mentioned, looked good when he came on and he did what you'd want Jack to do in that role. But what Jack was not able to do, which is just be uh, clean and tight spaces, be be um, sharp with his passing, advance the ball, sort of that intermediate phase, right? Advance the ball. Uh, into the final third and then give it to the playmakers or the goal scorers. And and Jack seemed to struggle with that. I mean, at 73% pass completion, he was the worst among all outfield players or all outfield starters. But And you'd say, well, maybe that's because he was trying really difficult passes. I don't believe he had a single key pass or created a chance, So, uh, which is the same thing. But so, I, you know, I, I think you could do it with Welbeck with his off-the-ball running and his energy and his, his dynamism, but you could do it with a Wobie with a little more control, um, good with the ball at his feet, clean passing even if not great in the final third i just don't think jack did either 
Yeah, and I know the one thing, you know, we were talking about earlier, too, is, you know, how open Arsenal are, because, you know, I don't think Wilshire really wants to do the defensive duties. And that's why, you know, I think Wenger's putting him in the, the 10 spot. But then, you know, we have, you know, three guys in the attacking midfield. Emikatarian will, will do some defensive actions, but that's, you know, really three guys plus a striker that you're carrying, not really doing a lot on defense, and then Ramsey pushing forward. It really is asking a lot of, you know, the other five guys behind them to really try to, to hold on to the game, um, or at least Welbeck, you know, really will put in a shift, you know, to, to help defensively. So you're not going to look for him to create offense, but he will do a lot of the other things to help solidify the team. So that, that's kind of my case for why I would have gone for Welbeck. Um, I do have some more good things on Ramsey. So, yeah. Bring him. Uh, Bring him on. Yeah, he had... Well, this was the thing that I actually thought was, was very impressive, and I've always been impressed by Ramsey's ability to get shots, um, which is probably one of his really elite things that he does. But not only does he get shots, but he gets shots in really, really good shot locations. So um, one of the things I, I like to look at is um, how far um, the average shot is um, that each player was taking, and Ramsey's um, was just under 13 meters. So, you know, you think the, the penalty spot's 11 meters. So almost all of his shots um, had an average distance to the very center of the goal from about the penalty spot, which is just absolutely ridiculous seeing that he took seven shots um, so, on so the game. So seven, seven shots from, from averaging basically the penalty spot. Yeah, that that's a good game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, from, look, yeah, the reason, make no mistake, the reason Harry Kane is having an elite season and is considered an elite player is because he's a shot monster. He shoots an absolute ton. And so, you know, I mean, I, it sounds overly simplistic, but if XG has taught us anything, you can't score a goal without shooting and Aaron Ramsey getting seven shots in a game from central midfield is incredible exactly no and yeah and, and all in good locations too so it's like he had yeah he had one shot from uh the wide you know right box where you know he, he took a shot there but that's still not a bad shot and yeah so that's it's absolutely crazy to have your your midfielder being able to get those kinds of shots off um and that's the kind of thing I think that uh with Lacazette who is more of a, a guy that you know will pick his spots where he takes his shots. Um, you know, having Ramsey in there um, kind of gives Arsenal a little bit more of the, you know, dynamic attacking threat because, you know, Ramsey's not going to pass up any sh- chance to shoot. So, yeah, I was very impressed with him as well. Yeah, I, it, just an incredible performance from a, a player who is really starting to hit that kind of peak that we only associated at one point with that purple patch he had a few seasons ago, and there was sort of an open question about whether that was the player he really was or just a hot run of form. But I think it is clear now as you really dig into the the data on the shots he gets, the runs he makes, the positions he gets into, that he is an elite goal-scoring central midfielder um, and that he has unique qualities that we don't have in the side. One of the things, Tim, that I think is starting to become apparent as Ozil starts to thrive in this reshaped team you know, if you think back to when we were playing with Giroud, Welbeck, um, you know, Ozil and Alexis, Ozil and Alexis really had a very strong partnership on the pitch. They looked for one another. They set each other up. Ozil loved finding Alexis when Alexis was still in the mindset to make runs in behind before he just started dropping deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, but that partnership was really important, and it was really part of how Ozil thrived. And it seems now with Alexis gone, whether it's in the league with Aubameyang and Mkhitaryan, or in this game with uh, Mkhitaryan and Ramsey, Ozil is finding runners that suit his eye, that suit the passes he likes to make, and he's really starting to find more of those kinds of relationships and connections on the pitch like what he had with uh, Alexis. So do you do you think that one of the reasons we're seeing performances like the one we saw from Ozil against Seska is just that... 
he is finding better partnerships and better styles and better runs from the players that he's playing with now that suit the way he wants to deliver the ball, that suit the way he wants to move around the pitch and create chances. A little bit, yeah. So I think a lot of it is, you're right, that Ozil and Alexis combined um, frequently on the pitch um, and and well, but I'm not, I'm not sure I would say they had a good partnership per se in ah. that... Um, in in a kind of intangible way, in that they were, you know, they they were both clear. So basically, what's happening now is Özil is not sharing top billing anymore. This is his team. He has complete freedom. You know, we're we're talking about he sets one goal, well, a disallowed goal up from the right. He sets one up from the left wing. He sets one up from the left half space. Um, Anam from Arsenal Column wrote a, a brilliant piece um, about what he did in the Stoke game and about how he started off on the right-hand side and then for the last kind of 25 minutes or so, he just went over to the left because he decided, well, that's where all the space is. I'm getting no joy down here. I think there's some space over there. Abamyang, I, I can see Lacazette's coming on. Abamyang is about to go out to the left wing, so I'm going to go out there and, and play with him. And basically, he has complete carte blanche. I think what used to happen when you had Ozil and Alexis is that kind of they're, they're both obviously top, top class players, but they're so, so different from one another. Um, and that combination is kind of pleasing, like I said, like a fire and ice thing um, with Ozil and Ramsey. Um, and I think, by the way, that's quite interesting what Scott was saying about Ramsey getting shots off because I think a couple of months ago, Scott was talking about the amount of shots that Alexis takes. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like Ramsey has started to take that mantle a little bit and has almost started to replace a little bit of, of what we lost with Alexis. But with Ozil now, this is his team. Um, you know, he doesn't have to share top billing with Alexis anymore. He can go where he likes. He doesn't have to, you know, it's not like, oh, OK, that's Alexis's area of the pitch. So I'll just drift around this part. He, he You know, it's a whole canvas for him. And um, Anam explained very well in his in his piece that, you know, Ozil, basically, Wenger just lets Ozil kind of see the game how he wants and lets him interpret where the space is and just gives him that kind of freedom to say, yeah, if, do you know what, I'll start you on the right, but if you think the space is over on the left, go over there, fill your boots. And, and I think that's kind of what we're seeing, that there isn't this kind of intangible creative tension. And I'm not suggesting the players didn't get on or anything, but... You know, when there's Ozil and Alexis there, the team either plays like Ozil wants it to or it plays like Alexis wants it to. And let's face it, Alexis is the far more dominant character of the two. And it's not a massive coincidence that um, one of Ozil's best ever runs of form was during the two seasons ago, the 2015-16 season, where Ozil racked up assists through the winter of 2015 and into early 2016. It was when Alexis was injured. Um, when he he kind of pulled up against uh, against Norwich and he was out for a couple of months and that coincided with Özil's most productive one of his most productive spells in an Arsenal shirt and that's not um, you know th- and and this is not me kind of going back on all the things I railed against for months about um, kind of you know Alexis being like a troubling influence and all of this because I always th- I, I see where people are coming from from that but it was always massively massively overplayed for me but. What what you're seeing now is Ozil has got the keys to this team. He's got 
the keys, he's got the lease, he's got the spare keys, he's got the garage, he's got the absolute lot um, for this team. And, and I think Ramsey's kind of beginning to step into, a, you know, some of, some of the things we miss from Alexis. We're beginning to get a bit more from Ramsey. And, you know, his end product is really quietly co- coming up. It's it's something like a, a, a goal or assist every 110 minutes. 100 minutes, I think I read. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, which is up, the, which is better than De Bruyne, which is better than. Deli um, Alley. Deli Alley. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's it's right up there uh, with the likes of Salah. So, you know, that that's, that's phenomenal. Um, if only and, he was English instead of Welsh. Uh, well, indeed, indeed. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I, I think that's what. That's just my interpretation of it that basically. Now Alexis isn't there. Ozil's got a bit more responsibility, and he's he's handling it pretty well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I, I think one thing you could say is with Alexis, he demanded the ball. He demanded it when he was mm. in great positions. He also demanded it when he was in terrible positions. You know, mm. and I think to your point, Tim, Ozil now feels free to only distribute to bo- the ball to the players that are in the best possible positions, the most dangerous positions. And when you have Mkhitaryan, who's willing to make those runs off the ball, and Ramsey, who's willing to make those runs off the ball, and Lacazette, who I think has a really good feel for movement around the box, Ozil's eyes are lighting up, and you can see it. I mean, that ball over the top that he played to Mkhitaryan, when Mkhitaryan was close Mm. in, took a touch, and then... uh, Yeah, yeah. That is an absolutely pinpoint perfect pass. And... You know, it used to be that the only guy who was moving like that off the ball was Alexis occasionally. Now he's got a lot of players that are willing to make those kinds of runs and get into those kinds of positions. And he's thriving. And I, I thought this was his best game in an Arsenal shirt this season. And you could certainly speak to the level of the competition, but it is still a quarterfinal in Europe when we got hauled back to, to 1-1. You know, it is possible that the team could have frozen up a little or been concerned, but there never seemed to be that worry. There was always... I think the feeling that they knew they could create chances and score goals, and indeed they scored a spectacular goal. And uh, I'll get both of you to talk about this briefly. But Scott, what was your immediate reaction when you saw um, Aaron Ramsey sort of chip the keeper with the back of his foot? <laughs> you know, so I, I, you know, first I saw that there was a, a goal uh, on Twitter because you know I was watching, you know, streaming it to, to my computer while I'm working. So I, I saw that there was a goal coming. And so it's one of those things, all right, I can kind of relax. All right, so wh- when is the goal actually going to happen? And then you could see Ramsey get into that spot, and I was like, wait, he's going to score from that? Oh, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's an incredible finish and, and a little piece of improvised finishing. And, you know, Tim talks about this a lot, and if you were on the podcast, I'd ask him about it. But, you know, talks about Ramsey always being the player who's willing to try something special and extraordinary um, even when it doesn't come off, and that that willingness when it does come off is rewarded. Uh, in this case, it clearly was. The thing I love, too, is, I mean, it was such a spectacular finish that I think it misses that it's actually a great ball by Ozil. He sees that Ramsey mm. wants it, he sees where he wants it, and he puts it right there. And, I mean, I, I guess I just have to ask it, better than Giroud's scorpion kick for you? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so. I mean, that scorpion kick, it, oh, it was, just, on, it was absolutely amazing. No, I mean, the scorpion kick is is he, he it's luck. It's it's a fluke. He it, the ball's behind him, so he improvises. I think Ramsey intends this. You don't want to give Ramsey the edge for for the more intentional maneuver. I, I don't know. It, it's hard to once you get to that level. They're all just so amazing. The goals. I, I'm just happy to see any of them. Yeah. All right. I guess you could look at it that way, but I'm looking to degrade the Giroud goal to the extent that's possible and elevate Ramsey's ever. You're not willing to participate. Yeah. Go ahead, Tim. 
it, it has to be said though the thing, I, I kind of agree with what you're saying but the, the clincher for Giroud is and this is the absolute unwritten law of brilliant goals it goes in off the bar yeah, which automatically yeah. Aesthetically, makes any it's goal better. about 50 times better and that's you know Plus, if yes. we don't get the Giroud Scorpion kick goal, we don't get the Giroud Scorpion celebration to make it 3-3 against Bournemouth when we're desperately <laughs> trying to haul back a winner. Enough. I can't do it. You've triggered me. All right, Tim, what was the reaction in the ground and your reaction to the goal? Yeah, I mean, I, I really saw this unfold, and I could see from his body shape the second Ozil's ball came in, I thought I could see he was going to go for it. And at first, I was a bit like, is that going to come off? But then um, the goalkeeper takes a half step, and I thought, oh, this is on. If he catches this, this is definitely on. And uh, yeah, he, he caught. He, he knew what he was doing every inch of the way. Um, and you know, the, the ball from Ozil was just flighted perfectly for it. Perfect height, perfect kind of um, tempo on the delivery. It was, and the, the other thing I really like about this goal, and uh, and this actually might give it a bit more of an edge on the if, if you're want if you're wanting to compare with the Giroud one. The the other thing. I'd really urge people to do because, like, obviously, this goal, rightly so, has been gift to death on Twitter um, quite happily. But watch the 30 to 40 seconds before it as well because it is, it's wonderful football. It's one, two touch, you know, that kind of bump, bump. Arsenal playing with that real swagger. Everyone kind of, you know, ju- just that when Arsenal get in the mood. Um, to do so, and and you know, unfortunately, it just it just doesn't happen as often as it as it used to. But the kind of thirty to forty seconds that build up to it, I I really urge people to go and watch it again because it's it's brilliant football, um, one and two touch all the way down the pitch. So many players involved, um, and yeah, the coup de gras um, at the end, and 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 yeah, and the thing is with Ramsey as well, you know. Obviously, I, I talk about his kind of bravery with that kind of thing. And his. Um, uh, someone sent me a brilliant article, actually. Um, it was actually about uh, NBA. Um, you know, when there's kind of... I, I've gone completely blank. I used to watch NBA, but I stopped a while ago. But, you know, what do they call, like, the penalty shots? The one point? Free throws. Yeah. Free throws. That's yep. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, Stick to soccer. A, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh I, yeah and and yeah so someone sent me um, a really good article um about guys who do free throws and and about you know the pressure of that situation and i suppose it's like the equivalent of a penalty um but it was talking about low threshold players um you know guys that just shoot those shots by routine like muscle memory completely blank out the pressure and all the eyes on them and everything um, and and that's and and there's just a big long detailed article about being a low threshold player, a player who is com- completely able to control stress at all times, and that's what Ramsey's like. And the thing is, I've I've always always thought that he gets too much shit for this kind of oh he's always doing flicks and back heels and stuff. And people, I think people really miss the point sometimes with flicks and back heels in that they construe it as um, they construe it as something ostentatious or something you do to show off. Sometimes it is, but a lot of the time, and when Ramsey does it, I think a lot, it's not showy. It's not about being ostentatious. It's not about taking the piss. It's about logic. And a back heel is so often the best, most logical way to deliver a pass to a teammate because you've got 
the opposition completely off guard. And it really, really makes sense. And that's why players do those kind of flicks um, when they're playing one-touch football, because it's all about delivering the ball quickly and delivering it in a way that wrong-foots your opponent. And it's, you know, obviously, no, 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 like nothing, no pass, no shot always comes off. But I, I see the logic when Ramsey does it and people moan because they think he's taking the piss and he's not. And um, it, it kind of reminds me of Bergkamp in that respect. Like Bergkamp was capable of amazing technical feats, but he did not do them unless he absolutely had to, unless it's what the situation required. And I'm, I'm not saying that Ramsey is, you know, on Bergkamp's level in that respect, but I think people miss the science and the logic and maybe even the maths or the physics or whatever you want to call it of doing like these things. And, and with that finish as well, it's not just a piss take showy finish. It is the most logical way to deliver the ball over the goalkeeper, under the bar, catch him off guard. And that's why it's such a wonderful goal. It's not just brilliantly executed. It's perfectly thought out. And I think people really, really miss that sometimes. Yeah, and I'll no, throw, I think Go ahead, go ahead, Scott. I was going to say, I think that's, that's a great point. So a lot of times like, doing those little things, it, it's not just because you can do it, but it, it's exactly what the you know your defender doesn't expect you to do. Mm you know, the flick at that time. So it definitely opens up that, you know, that half second of space, which at this level, when everybody is so good, that being able to get those half steps, that little, you know, second of space, that's what you need to be able to do because everybody is just so good. And that's what's able to, to be able to, you know, be able to score a goal, not score a goal kind of a thing. Yeah, that's a great point, right? The thing about a trick is that it's not something that a defender might expect. And because they might not expect it, it may give your teammate a chance to run into a space that wouldn't have been there otherwise or create an angle that wasn't there otherwise. Um, I'll throw another word in there to the ones you put in, Tim, which is instinct. I mean, I think sometimes we overthink the amount of time these guys have to decide how they're going to deliver a pass or how they're going to shape to shoot. They have to go on instinct. And if the instinct is to do the audacious, is to do the more skillful, then I think that's actually a really good sign because it's a faith in your quality. Right, And if you pull it off, all the better. But I think it's the point that the players that aren't doing a back heel or a flick or a trick, it may not be that they're just a, a more serious player. It may be that their mm. instincts don't tell them to do that because they don't have that skill in their locker. you know, and, and, mm. Or they don't see the pitch that way. So you know, there are a lot of things that Mesut Ozil does. Hitting it into the fucking ground to, to chip it over the keeper. Who would think to do yeah, that? Yeah. Right? I mean, he does because he has incredible footballing instincts and incredible skill. Uh, and to your point about him not being overawed by the moment, Tim, he's the one player, like, I have no doubt in my mind he would have gone for that same finish if it was Real Madrid in the final of the Champions League. You know, I don't, yep. I don't think this was, oh, we're up against Seska Moscow, so let me take the piss. I think that's just yeah, yeah. what Ramsey would do in that situation. So yep. credit to him. It's just a tremendous moment. I mean, we, we too easily and too quickly gloss over the special moments. I will remember that goal for a long time. And it was just a fun night, and that goal was a big part of the excitement of it. Scott, if Mesut Ozil and, and Aaron Ramsey hadn't been playing in this game, we would probably be waxing poetic about the game Lacazette and Mkhitaryan had. I thought they were both excellent, just overshadowed by even more superior performances. The Lacazette goal, I think, is really special. One touch to kill it, and then without having a lot of power, the precision to put it in the side netting from where he was and really the only space to squeeze that ball into the net. I mean, we talked about it on the last podcast, and I think we have to bring it up again. Have we just completely missed the point that Lacazette is a very skillful, 
an instinctive finisher in the box and someone that can really make the difference for us in this in this Europa League run. Yeah, and, and you know the other thing is you know it's not like he has a, a clear shot at goal either. So it's you know there's a bunch of defenders in the way. So that's he has the only to place you could put it. <laughs> exactly. He has to, he has to place it perfectly. You know the ball's kind of you know it was a great touch, but the ball's still you know on the in the air a little bit bouncing up. So it's not like it's teed up perfectly for him. So yeah, it, it is just an overall perfect thing, and he makes it look so easy when that is you know the furthest thing from easy to do. You know, you imagine Welbeck in that situation and, you know, he shins that and it goes off, maybe out for a throw-in or something stupid. Um, you know, not to, to say Welbeck's a, a bad shooter or anything, but Lacazette just really does things that, um, you know, make it look um, easy. I'll stop you. Well, Welbeck is a really bad shooter. <laughs> so there, there you go. I'll say it if you won't. Keep going. Uh, but yeah, so I really appreciated, um, you know, that. And, you know, he was a very willing runner. He led the line well. To me, it was, you know, exactly what you wanted um, from him. And, you know, I, it, I was actually really disappointed to see Mkhitaryan go out with an injury because I think he's really starting to, to gel with, you know, the other players in the team. And it seems that he's really coming in um, to his own. So, yeah, I, I really was impressed with Mkhitaryan as well. Is your so construction has your construction crew started back up? <laughs> yeah, it is. So I'm getting new floors put in the house. So they're they're back here. Congratulations! So be a little bit loud at the backside. Uh, is it is it time to let you go for that purpose, or are you good to hang on just a few more minutes here? Uh, they don't need me to just do construction. Oh, okay, well, right, but we need you to not be in a construction zone. If you if you take my point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, why don't you do this? If if you're able to mute it while they're hammering away, and then once your your time, you can unmute. And then got nice and quiet. See how that works? This is what we call professional editing on the fly. Um, in any event, Tim, I, yeah, I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts on, on Lacazette, that goal, and, and his and Mkhitaryan's performance. I, we can c- just spend a moment or two on Mkhitaryan being injured and what that might mean if he misses the next round and indeed the rest of the tournament. But on the night, I thought they both played really, really well while being overshadowed by even superior performances. Yeah, it looked like the Lacazette from September um, again uh, last night in that, you know, he wasn't particularly in the second half. He wasn't hugely involved, but, um, you know, when, when the chance came to him, um, you know, the penalty, he's, he's always been a very good, very reliable penalty taker from his time at Leon, And, uh, you know, he, I didn't really have any doubts about him um, from the spot, but also that, that, that second goal, that's, that's, that's a lovely, lovely finish and not just the finish, but the control. Um, the way he, cause you know, Ozil really fizzes that in and, you know, he, he and kills Jack kind of steps then, over it too. So he's, he's got it. He doesn't yeah. know for sure it's going to come to him. He kind of has to instinctively react to it. Yeah, exactly. And then he shoots with his, you know, with his left foot, with his weaker foot and, and sticks it right in the corner. It's, it's, you know, it, it's a bit of a glib phrase, but it's a proper striker's goal. That's, you know, serious strikers score those. And, you know, like you said, it's perhaps a bit unfair to keep using his name like this. But, I mean, Welbeck probably just doesn't get that touch in the first place, let alone the finish. So, um, yeah, that that was absolutely fantastic. I think another reason that he's quite useful is that he tends to veer towards the right a little bit. And, you know, Arsenal have had this massive left-sided bias for quite a while. And, you know, Lacazette, he showed it more in the Stoke game, I think. But he tends to like that right-hand channel quite a bit. Um, which for Mkhitaryan and, and Bellerin is is quite handy. Yeah, I, I, you know, I have to tell you, Tim, I thought that with Mkhitaryan we were getting someone who was going to be more of an on-the-ball player. Not that he can't play on the ball, mm. but he's a lot more direct and involved in the yeah. box than I expected. He is a 
proper sort of inside wide forward? Is is that even a mm. thing? Did I just make up a thing? I may have just made up a thing, yeah. but you kind of know what I mean. Like he 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 gets on the end of a lot of Ozil balls. He had the early mm. shot into the side netting. He had the one where Ozil played the ball over the top. That was blocked. Uh, where Ramsey just sliced over, that was from a Mkhitaryan shot from in close that was well saved. But he's very active in the box. He's very direct. Mm. I mean, is is he providing you maybe providing you? He's not providing you anything <laughs> that I'm aware of anyway, unless he's been stopping <laughs> stopping by your place after the games. But is is he providing the team anything maybe a little different than what you expected when we got him? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, so I, I had this kind of fear a few weeks ago that um, when you have like Mkhitaryan and Ozil perhaps behind Bamiyang, it, it creates too much of a space because you've got these guys who you know like to come deep a little bit and then this guy who really doesn't want any involvement um, other than in the last 20-25 yards of the pitch and I worried that that was opening up a bit of a gap. I think where Mkhitaryan's really starting to make a difference um, and hopefully we won't have to say that in the past tense um, is that he, he's kind of linking those spaces quite a bit better. And what's quite interesting is, you know, in, in a balance, I've said this before, in a balanced front three, you have like your centre forward who should be, ideally should be a goal scorer. And then you have like a wide creator and a wide forward. But what actually Mkhitaryan's doing quite well is he's providing an interesting mix between being a creator and being a goal threat. Um, and and actually, he he had um, he had a really good scoring record in this competition last year for Manchester United as well. He he's kind of he, he's beginning to show that nice balance between having a bit of a final ball, having a pass, but like more than that, you're right. He he is a bit more direct than I expected. He is a bit more kind of. Uh, we really saw that in Milan as well, where he was kind of popping off shots all over the place in that first half in particular. And yeah, he's he's just got that kind of nice, you know. He's he's not he's not really a number ten. He's not really a wide forward. He's he's kind of a mixture of both. Um, and that that's a very interesting mix. And I think um, Hector Bellerin has has been really really grateful for his arrival into the team as well because yeah, he just gives him yeah a little bit of support over on that right hand side. And like I say, Lacazette likes to drift over there as well. So you know where Arsenal. It was like the ball was like a magnet over to the left side. We, we've got. It looks like we've got the beginnings of something going on the right as well now. Yeah, and I, I think the scary thing about him being injured, and and especially if we lose him for the whole tournament, uh, let alone even the the next uh, round, the, the semifinal round, is that you could p- replace him with a Wobi who's very good on the ball but does not have the penalty box instincts or directness or end product that Mkhitaryan has. You could play some with Danny Welbeck, who is a little more direct and will do a little more running, but certainly not a great finisher and and can't really participate in the buildup to the same extent. So he's he's a little more of a, an end product threat than Iwobi and a little more of a, a possession contributor than Welbeck. He's like the perfect foil for those two, and, and I'm not sure that either one of those is the right replacement. The other problem is that it forces us to stick with Jack Wilshire, almost certainly. Um, mm. You know, unless you want to go, it will be and Welbeck for Wilshire and Mkhitaryan. So, Scott, uh, if you are still there and uh, in in a zone where speaking on a podcast is appropriate, I'd sort of love to get your take on the performance that Jack Wilshire turned in, both statistically and just qualitatively what you saw, and you know whether you think there was really any ability for us to continue to count on him in this role. 
Yeah, it's it's kind of so. One of the things that he really does well is his ability to to carry the ball forward. Um, so when I look at my my value added, um, you know, the offensive value added, that's really where he's been excelling um, since he's come back in the um, in the squad. Where he's been hurting um, is his is his passing, and I think that he just doesn't he doesn't make the decision quick enough in the final third. He just you know lets the defenders get on him too much, and he just isn't able to move the ball quick enough. He's able to carry the ball fine. He you know dribbles fairly well. He was only one four um, in this match, but in general he's been dribbling the ball fairly well. Um, and that's something that he's always done well in his career, but the passing has just not quite been there. You know, he was 73% passing, and he had a, a few of the the passes that he had were in Arsenal's half, and they were in the bad situations where, you know, against a better team, you know, for, for Arsenal to get to the semifinal, that, you know, some of the teams that they could go up against, they could really, you know, capitalize on a mistake like that. Um, especially with, you know, Arsenal's tendency to really push the other players forward. You know, if your midfielder is making those kinds of mistakes, it really, really puts you in a bad situation to do that. Um, so it's 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 really hard for him, to, or at least for me, to see him when he's that far up the pitch, when he's, you know, not contributing shots, not, creati- not contributing chances created, and he's not contributing on defense to really do anything to really see where he is, you know, helping the team. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think that's fair. And I, I know people really like Jack Wilshire, Tim, but it's not mm. happening for him. It's not happening for him in this position, but I think just saying this position is maybe a way of just trying to soften the blow because people don't want to be too cruel to a player that many people mm. have a soft spot for emotionally. But I think your eyes tell you all you need to see. I mean, for Jack Wilshire, yeah. you're passing at 73% when, hell, Mkhitaryan was at 95%. Lacazette at 93%. You know, that El Nenny came on and in 23 minutes on the pitch completed three fewer passes than, than Wilshire did in 73 minutes um, and at a much higher completion rate. No key passes, no assists, no shots on target. It's not happening for him. I mean, do we have to accept mm. that maybe the little um, resurgence that we saw from him over the winter – was maybe more the exception than the rule? Yeah, quite possibly. Um, I, another kind of stat to throw in, um, only Lacazette and Mkhitaryan had fewer touches um, than Jack Wilshire, but they got six shots off between them and one of them scored two goals. So, you know, that this, this was really low involvement in a game that Arsenal dominated in a creative and attacking aspect Right in the zone of the pitch he was presumably starting in, too. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and and it all really passed him by. I mean, you watch that exceptional Ramsey goal, and and Wilshere has very is kind of has a a bit of a watching brief, and maybe maybe that's harsh to kind of have a go, not having a go, but you know to to kind of highlight that. But and and actually the involvements he did have were not very good. Um, You know, a lot of counter attacking opportunities that broke down because he couldn't get the ball out of his feet. Yeah, yeah, and that's that is actually unusual for him. You know, his his close control let him down, which actually is one of the few things that I think he still kind of does at, at pretty much the level he always did. His his close control is usually still there. Um, I, I think of, that's I think that's almost what he relies on that too much, and then he slows yeah. the game too yeah too far down because he's so good at controlling the ball close. Yeah, yeah, precisely. And but then even you know on on Thursday night he 
even his close control was um, was really all over the place. And there was a point where he lost the ball, um, you know, with about twenty minutes to go, and there was a bit of a groan. And it, it's it's kind of funny when when Jack does something a bit wrong because everyone groans because it's their default reaction, but then it kind of drops because it's like, oh no, it's Jack, it's Jack. Um, yeah, kind of <laughs> our special turn boy. It down, turn it down. <laughs> don't yeah, it's like don't upset our special lad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, but I I turned to my mates and I was like. I just went, I, I would take him off like right now. He's just having a, a real stinker. And, um, you know, he, especially on a night like that, where in, you know, an attacking sense, Mkhitaryan played very well, Lacazette played very well, Ozil and Ramsey were, you know, completely elite. So, you know, it, it would have been one thing if it was like a 7 out of 10 or even a 6 out of 10. And he's basically been dropping 6 and 7s out of 10 for pretty much the whole season really yeah um but this was a, a four or a five and uh, he, he hasn't done too many of those i don't think i think he's had some pretty average games i, I can't recall too many you know absolute stinkers but th this was certainly one and i just i just think the jack wilshire and arsenal story is is winding down and you know, I, I feel in, in a slightly different way. I'm, you know, beginning to feel a bit like I did with Oxlade Chamberlain, and Chamberlain was a player I liked. Um, but I just kind of thought, and and I've I've come to this with Danny Welbeck as well. I just think, yeah, probably club and player need to. It would be mutually beneficial for them both to move on. Um, like I said earlier in the podcast, I for my money, for Jack to reinvent himself, he has to reinvent himself as a deep lying playmaker. Um, you know, more, maybe more of a like Paolo Xabi Alonso kind of type that doesn't have to do a lot of running. Can you, has can someone you throw the word budget in, the, in front of that? Well, well, yeah, yeah. Obviously, when you refer to the type of player, you're you're referring like top of the line. <laughs> yeah, I get um, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think that's what he's got to do to kind of rescue his career. And it's clear that Arsene doesn't really have a lot of interest in, in playing in there because he's got players, you know, like Xhaka, like Ramsey. You know, the fact that he's still playing Ramsey. And so, because, you know, if he, I, I think if he really believed in Jack, he would go, actually, I'll play you in central midfield and I'll put Ramsey in the number 10. But he, he trusts Ramsey more because... Basically, if you're playing in central midfield, you're more involved. Your central midfielder is more involved than your number 10, basically, in the game. And I think what Wenger is saying is, yeah, I still trust Ramsey more. Um, but you know what? I mean, there is a cost to that. There is a cost because the simple fact is, by virtue of Ramsey being so involved in the attack last night, we were more open at the back. I mean, you can't have it both ways. Yeah. You can't have Ramsey taking seven shots from the penalty area and still have the n numerical security that you need behind you to prevent those counterattacks because Jack isn't getting yeah. back there. So, I mean, the problem with with what you just described is that it does have a cost defensively. Yeah, absolutely. And and maybe, you know, and, and this is kind of an age-old question with can you get Ramsey and Wilshire into the same team because they both like to more or less kind of drive forward, but one likes to drive forward with the ball and one without it. And... um what what you'd really be looking for is to say, right, okay, Ramsey's starting in central midfield and I'm starting Wilshire in a more advanced position. But as the play kind of develops, that, that's not set in stone. If Ramsey goes forward, then Wilshire can take a step back 
um, just in case there is a break or the ball comes back to the edge of the area and we need someone to distribute it again. Um, and I just didn't see that from Wilshire. And and to be honest, I'm not sure he really has the athleticism anymore to to do that kind of swapping role anyway. I, I really think to kind of um, rescue his career for maybe that's a melodramatic word, but to revitalise his career, I'd say. I, I think he needs to be sat in one area of the pitch, um, you know, a bit like Xhaka is really for Arsenal. And uh, I, I just don't see that happening for him at Arsenal, um, to be honest. Totally agree. Totally, totally agree. We'll now go to our war correspondent on the front line, Scott. And <laughs> Scott, as we start to wrap up our discussion of this game really quickly, uh, a few quick takeaways. So my first thing I want to ask you is it's 4-1. Do you believe the tie is killed off? I'd say that you know there's probably a, an 80 to 90 percent chance of Arsenal moving on to the semifinal. Um, I haven't run the the full simulation on it yet, but that's kind of my gut um, impression at the moment. And then, okay, uh, having said that, let's say we get through and it's the semifinal, and let's just say Mkhitaryan is not available. That means we really potentially have two spots we have to worry about: Jack Wilshire in that 10, and Mkhitaryan uh, as one of the wide forwards. How would you like to see Arsene Wenger set up? Would you keep Jack in and just swap someone in for Mkhitaryan? Would you replace both of them? How would you how would you like him to set up in the absence of of Mkhitaryan? That's that's really the probably the harder one to to really replace because I, I really have been impressed with uh, Mkhitaryan. You know, being able to not just be a creative outlet but also an offensive threat. Um, you know, because I think he's averaged you know three and a half to four shots since he's come into the team. That's fantastic. And, so being able to actually find that on the bench is going to be difficult because, you know, I don't expect a Wobi to do that. He might be able to replicate some of the, the creative um, things that Mkhitaryan does. All you need to know about a Wobi is in a game that we already had won where all the pressure was off, the ball comes to him in on goal with a chance to just kind of pass it into the far post and instead he lashes across across the face of the goal to Lacazette. Now, admittedly, Lacazette maybe should do better there, but it's it's not a great delivery. I mean, that, I think that tells you all you need to know about Awobi's confidence in front of goal. Yeah, so I, I don't know if there's really a, a good choice there, and you know, I don't envy the manager having to, to make it. I um, mean, you know, I guess, you know, it's, you know, maybe maybe Awobi and Welbeck is the, the answer, but I, I, I don't know if there really is a, a good one. So if he's out, I think it really hurts Arsenal. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I would probably go with Awobi and Welbeck because I think based on the way Jack played, you you cannot continue with him. I mean, theoretically, you could move Ramsey forward and go with Elneny and Shaka in central midfield and then go with Danny or Awobi, and I think that might suit a little more. Uh, but finally, I mean, for you, Scott, do you come away from this match? I mean, obviously it was a lot of fun, and, and I think the tie is one, and I don't want to overplay this, but do you come away from this match with maybe just in the back of your mind a little worry that, that if we set up and defend like we did last night, that when we get one more round further and we're looking at teams like uh, RB Leipzig or, or uh, Atletico Madrid, certainly, that that will not be good enough to get us through? Yeah, I mean, you, you really, you know, if you come up against a, an Atletico, I wonder um, how Arsenal's offense would do against, you know, that um, defense. So that's something that would be a, a tough matchup, I think, for them. I think some of the, any of the other teams, I think Arsenal could match up just fine with, you know, you know, just go out there and do the track meet kind of thing and say, you know, can you outscore us? But, you know, Atletico, I think they could actually shut down Arsenal, um, which would be, you know, the concern because I don't know if, 
you know, you get into a low scoring event, you know, almost anything can happen. And I don't trust Arsenal's defense to, to keep things tight at all times and, yeah. you know, not have that one lapse of concentration that you have to have. Yeah, you know, fully. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I don't see Arsenal winning games 1 0 or reliably winning games 1 0. And with Mikatarian out, it's one less guy taking three or four shots a game, one less guy that really, I think, can create chances and get on the end of chances. And it puts that much more pressure on Lacazette to be the guy, certainly, um, and Aaron Ramsey. But with a, a team like an Atletico Madrid that can keep it tight at the back, you just wonder if a defensive effort like we saw last night would, would potentially be catastrophic. And I, I don't want to turn this into a negative because for right now we just put together a fantastic result uh in the first leg of a european quarterfinal and i think it's going to be enough to see us through so tim i'll ask you a few of the same questions first of all i mean did you look it was a lot of fun and it was a great game to watch as an arsenal fan to see us flowing and moving the ball and and ozil at peak form and ramsey scoring galazos but did you start to get a little frustrated was there indeed any frustration in the ground as chances kind of went begging one after the other in the second half to make it five to make it six i i got frustrated i don't think that happened in the ground i think a lot of people just left because i think um, yeah (laughs) there's a little bit of that and i also think uh, quite genuinely subconsciously a lot of people go for the theater of um moaning for want of a better phrase that they they go to take out their frustration and and actually it's almost like um you know it's almost like pornographic what's going on at arsenal at the moment it's like i and i don't think anyone does this consciously but i think a lot of people come into the ground thinking right arsenal is shit at the moment i mean it gets stuck into them and when the game's over like that i mean that's it for them um so i i did get i was frustrated with the second half and, you know, all the usual caveats, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'd have taken 4-1 beforehand, great performance, et cetera, et cetera. But what is this podcast's MO if it is not to forensically analyse what happened in the game? And this was 50% of it. I, I was really disappointed with the second half. I thought the opportunity was, I thought we could have scored as many goals as we wanted. And I'm not silly. I understand that nobody plays at full, full throttle at 4-1. I get that. But I, I think I think we played the second half in first gear, and we it still felt created like, chances. Like the Emirates Cup or whatever. I mean, the second yeah. half. They really, they they knew they were beaten. They did not seem like they had any faith in getting back into the match, and we knew that we kind of had them at our mercy, and we just didn't yeah. seem to have that killer instinct. So there's a few things going on. I, if we're four one up against Southampton on Sunday at half time by all means, play the second half like you're playing five-a-side at training, um, by all means, because the game is over. This is a 180-minute game. And um, and I really, really thought that just another 10 minutes in second or third gear, and we'd have scored twice, maybe three times. And the thing is, you see with the chances, when you're playing in first gear and you're playing it like it's headers and volleys on the training ground, the chances don't go in. The chances go in. Look at, I mean, how how far apart were three of our goals last night? Like, they came in minutes. Same as Stoke. When you're playing at that intensity, the chances fly in. When you're playing headers and volleys, they don't because, you know, you haven't got that same momentum and that conviction behind you in the finishing. I think, and like I say, I'm not saying go out and play like 45 minutes and run around like madmen and try and win 20-0 because I know it doesn't work like that but this is a 180 minute tie 
And in the second leg, and don't get me wrong, I do think we'll go through. But first of all, I didn't really get what they were holding back for. We've got a game that half of them aren't going to play and doesn't mean anything on Sunday. And why would you hold back for the second leg when you can finish it? You can make the second leg irrelevant. Yeah, you, you don't so, even have to get on the plane to go to Russia at 6-1. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. <laughs> so it's not like, it wasn't like a calculated playing within themselves. They they just, I think they were treating it a bit like they were 4-1 up against Watford and it was a 90-minute game. Well, and, um, I just want to add I, two things to that. Just one thing, you know, if what they did was just hold hold uh, Seska at length at bay, we pulled off our strikers, we played more defensively, we sat yeah, deep and played. And we on, didn't. But we did not do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So so they still yeah. had counter chances. So it wasn't like this was just we switched from attack to defense. We just switched yeah, from yeah. Uh, focused and um, intense attack to sort of a casual attack. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and the other the other thing I'd say, you know, you asked Scott whether he thought it was over. Don't, like I say, don't get me wrong. I think we're going to qualify, but. But look at Ostersons. Was that was that not a warning that when you think it's over? It's quite interesting, actually. Wenger tried to put a positive spin on the fact that we didn't score as many as we should have because he said, you know, well, actually, this means we've got to stay focused for the second leg. And <laughs> Great, it's a bit lucky like, us. <laughs> well, yeah, it's like, well, if we'd have won seven or eight one, that that wouldn't really have mattered. But you know, in basically in both second legs so far, we've conceded first. And against, and against Ostersons, we conceded two. Now, Ostersons, you get away with it because they're part-time and they were in pre-season and we're at home. Milan, you just get away with it because we're at home. If we concede first in Moscow early, we're a long fucking way from home and it's very different to kind of going 1-0 down at a sleepy Emirates where the crowd then wakes up and gets on your back a bit and you go and, you know, if you go 1-0 down in Moscow inside 10 minutes, this is a tie again. I think my um, only counterpoint to that is, after what I just witnessed, I have a yeah. hard time believing they can keep us out if we really need a goal. You know, yeah, and no, maybe, I maybe I'm wrong about that. I'm not saying I want to be 1-0 down or even, you know, 2-0 down, but the idea that they're going to get a clean sheet against us after we probably should have had, not should have, could have had 7 or 8 against them, yeah, hard yeah, to yeah. see that happening. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree, but um, but I, I think it was there to to put that completely out of the question. So I, I think it's you know it's like eighty, eighty five percent, maybe more than that. I, I think the the opportunity for not much more effort to make this one hundred percent lock, stock, and barrel was there. Yeah, yeah, and it, well, go ahead, sorry. Uh, so what I was going to say is, you know, what teams have, you know, done to us in the Champions League when we've, you know, come into these two-legged ties where, you know, they come up and, you know, they, they get a big early lead and then they keep adding on and then the tie's over or, you know, Arsenal have to, this insurmountable thing. So, you know, you see when we played against Bayern Munich, you know, it's 5-1 and there's just no way back. Or when we played against Barcelona, they come up and they score and then they keep scoring until, you know, the, the final whistle. And Arsenal just didn't have that same killer instinct that some of these other top, top teams had. Now, to be fair, Ramsey hits the bar. Um, Ramsey slices over from Mkhitaryan having a shot in close range saved. Iwobi kind of can't decide whether to shoot or pass and gets it in between. And Lacazette probably should poke it home, but doesn't quite get it. I mean, there were chances, even as lackadaisical and casual as we were. Ozil, the one thing that drove me fucking nuts about Ozil on the day is that who, who delivered the ball over the top to him? Was it was it Ramsey? Who was it? Lacazette? Who gave him the ball over the top where he he goes with the outside of his left 
and uh, you know, yeah. Uh, he's totally in on goal, and there's like a number of different ways he can try to finish it. He won't. He doesn't use his right, so instead he tries to kind of like side heel it outside of his foot, yeah. and it goes over. And I can't. And that angle who, was never on. Yeah, no, yeah, that I angle wasn't on. That's... Instead of just using his right, where it's much easier. But like th- that was one of those really casual finishes where you're like, all right, this is still a real game. <laughs> it still matters, but. You know what? Look, enough. I think I think the tie is probably dead. So, Tim, I did ask Scott, and I do just want to quickly get your thoughts. Based on how Jack played and based on Mkhitaryan most likely not being available um, for a semifinal, because I, I, I don't think we have to get too worried about the second leg, famous last words, what is your, what is your preferred approach to setting up for the semifinal? In, entirely dependent on who we play. Um, yeah, if you want, if you want possession... You go and, or you know, you want possession. You want someone to beat players. You go with the Wobi. If you want to be a little, so if we're playing Atletico Madrid, I'd go with Welbeck, for example, because I, I think he's slightly more tactically mature player. Um, but at the moment, I I think you could toss a coin between um, Wilshire and a Wobi. Um, quite frankly, I might just go for a Wobi just because I think he's. He's got a little bit more in his legs, um, a little bit more dynamism. He's probably not as um, unerring on the ball as Jack usually is. Um, But, you know, last night, (laughs) Jack really kind of lost that as well. So it it just depends on the game um, and the situation, um, really. But I I don't have a firm idea. I I do think it's a, a pretty damaging injury, actually. Yeah, I, I'm really, really concerned about what the Mkhitaryan injury does for us because as a team that is not going to be rock solid at the back, his directness, his end product, uh, it, it's in a position where all of the options we have other than him are big compromises in one way or another. So we'll see what happens. Um, you know what is exciting, you guys, though? And, and I think for me it's, it's invigorated me just a little bit. As I start to look to the future and I think Aubameyang, Lacazette, Mkhitaryan, Ozil, Ramsey. I mean, there is a world where next season is a hell of a lot of fun to watch. And at a minimum, putting aside whether we can challenge for the league or get back into the Champions League or any of that stuff, it's just starting to be a fun team to watch again. And I think from an incremental improvement standpoint, that's really significant. Um, you know, So that, that's something that I'm excited about again. There are a lot of players I, I'm learning to really like again in this team and I'm excited to see them play, assuming that they don't have to like amputate Mkhitaryan's leg and stuff like that. So, all right, let's leave it there. We've got Southampton uh, at the weekend. It's at the Emirates, I believe, correct? Yep. Convenient to have all these uh, home games in between our Europa League fixtures. So it'll be uh, it'll be a meaningless game, but one that you know maybe we can see Aubameyang get another couple of goals and just sort of continue our hot attacking play, which has been a lot of fun. Scott's on Twitter at o underscore that underscore crab. Scott, I hope your floors look fucking fantastic. <laughs> I'll be sure to, to tweet out pictures when they're finally done. Please. I, I know everybody will be dying to see uh, what all that hammering led to. But uh, thanks for coming on. And Tim's on Twitter. Uh, uh, Stilberto, thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Yep, your pleasure. My uh, my name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Give us a five-star review. Write nasty things about Clive or Paul or Clive and Paul or Claw or Plive or any such person. Uh, we will definitely be doing a podcast after Southampton, as irrelevant as the game might be. Hell, we might even do one after the second leg of this tie when it finishes 4-3, Seska. In any event, uh, we'll talk to you on Monday after uh, Arsenal 10, Southampton 0.